All right, everybody, uh, just finished recording with uh, a slew of guests. And while that was happening, uh, a couple of, of news events happened. The first um, is absolutely terrifying, and that's that Bronny James, obviously LeBron's oldest son, suffered a cardiac arrest Monday during a USC workout. It is in stable condition and out of the ICU. Um, and there's really, it's just absolutely terrifying, and all you can do is you know, send your, send your good thoughts and your good vibes to, to Bronny and LeBron and, and Savannah and their whole family. Um, because that is, that's real life. All this other stuff that we're talking about is nonsense. This is, this is uh real life. And this is a kid who is starting along uh, what is supposed to be, and hopefully still is a very long journey to carving out his own legacy as a basketball player, a kid who by all accounts, it's not as if I've watched Bronny James play a lot is about all the right stuff as a basketball player. Not that that really matters in light of this news, but um, now all that matters is like, I, I guess we don't know much, but the fact that he's listed as a stable condition and is not in the ICU, I'm taking that as good news. I'm hoping that that, that is to be taken as good news. It seems like it should be. And beyond that, we're just all going to be, you know, monitoring it and waiting to hear for more good news. But please, uh, best wishes to Bronny, to the James family. And, um, no one ever wants to see anything like this. Obviously, it's very, very scary, no matter who it is. And um, best wishes to everybody. The second and much less important thing that happened while we were recording is that the Celtics and Jalen Brown, according to Woj, have agreed on a Supermax extension, uh, $304 million over five years. That is the richest contract in NBA history, according to his agent, Jason Glushon, talking to Woj. Um this is a, I've been saying for a month that this deal is coming, that do not read anything into the fact that it hasn't happened yet, that they're just negotiating all the bells and whistles that come with these contracts, trade kickers and uh, player options. And we don't have the details about that. If there's a player option on it, I haven't seen it. Again, we're just reacting to this in real time. Uh, and so here it is. It's here. And um, will it be a good contract? A plus value contract? Probably not. I mean, Jalen Brown's going to have to grow as a playmaker, particularly as a playmaker. And all the jokes about his dribbling aside, it's his dribbling and his passing and his assist to turnover ratio, which often veers into negative territory. Um, but, you know, I, I actually think in some corners of the league, particularly the analytics corner, he's become a little bit underrated. Um, you know, I've had a couple people in opposing front offices tell me something along the lines of, are the Celtics really going to pay? their third or fourth or fifth best player, all this money. And I was like, come on, guys. I know the passing. I know the assisted turnover ratio. I know the Derek White's an analytics darling, and so is Robert Williams. But, like, this dude can score everywhere all the time in ways that are extremely hard to find. He was probably their best player in the NBA Finals two years ago, a series they lost. But I think he – he I haven't – again, I haven't looked back in detail in a little bit. But in my head, he he on balance – probably outplayed Jason Tatum a little bit in that series by a bit. Jason Tatum's a better player. That's fine. Um, defensively, is he always super engaged off the ball? Maybe not, but he can guard anybody, anytime, any position all over the floor. And when he is engaged, he's a very good defensive player on that end. I I, I don't, I, I think the contract may not age well, but it may not age all that poorly. And I don't know really what else the Celtics were supposed to do. Um, 
I, as I've said before, I never liked this theoretical Jalen Brown for da- Damian Lillard trade. Particularly, I actually liked it a little bit less for Portland. I, not, I don't think anything real ever happened there than, than I did for Boston. I don't think Jalen Brown on this number makes a whole lot of sense for a rebuilding Portland Trailblazers team. Um, I do think if you ask me right now, Tuesday, July 25th, 2023, in the wake of having this contract just signed, if you ask me a point blank, is Jalen Brown playing all five of these years as a Celtic and you're forcing me to say yes or no, I would say no. I would say that he gets traded sometime between now and the expiration of this contract. Don't feel strongly about it. Um, but that would be my guess just because it is a lot of money. The Celtics now have a, a $100 million a year once Tatum's new deal kicks in, committed to two guys with with somewhat overlapping skill sets, and that's fine. You don't always get Shaq and Kobe. Um you don't always get the perfect Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic. Sometimes you get two wings who both like to do the same stuff or similar stuff in different ways, and you just have to make it work. And if they're both good offensive players and good defensive players, you get within two wins of the finals. It's not like this. Yes, the Celtics have this air of disappointment around them for how this season ended at the hands of the Heat, for how they lost three straight games to the Warriors in the finals. But this team has been nothing but far in the playoffs pretty much every single year, with the exception of... Uh, the bad Kyrie year where they had high expectations and the Bucks rolled them out in the second round. And even the second round is like not so bad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's it's But it's done. And the Celtics have tons of money committed to those two guys, plus Porzingis now on a two-year extension, which is a deal that I don't really like. Um, and now they go through the process of seeing what this team is. And it's going to be a very good team no matter what. And the other thing is we do, we do have to get out of this, like, I guess it's cool trivia that it's the richest contract in NBA history, but it reminds me of when Mike Conley signed the richest contract in NBA history. And for like six months, every story about Mike Conley, every podcast about Mike Conley, it was like this, it was like Mike Conley, comma, owner of the richest contract in NBA history, comma. And we, we all say it, everybody writes it, everybody mentions it knowing that there's an expiration date on that fact that there will be more contracts coming down the line and in three or four years it will be the 10th richest contract in the NBA or whatever it is so like so Jalen Brown is now going to get sort of dinged with this label of does he deserve the richest contract in the history of the NBA and I'm not saying that's unfair because currently it is the richest contract in the history of the NBA surpassing Jokic who's won two MVPs and is worth more than he's being paid but like it's not forever and it's just a function of timing and the CBA and him having to make Jalen Brown having happen to having make all NBA last year. So we'll see what the nitty gritty of the details is as they come out, whether there is a player option, whether there's bonuses, trade kickers, whatever it is, that will all come out in the wash. But the deal is done, as I've been saying for weeks, it would be. Um, and now the Celtics have to move forward and see if they can advance further than they have advanced with this group before. And again, the only important thing on this whole podcast is best wishes to Bronny James and his family. That is a very, very scary thing. Uh, And what follows now is what was recorded um, as all of this stuff was unfolding in the real world. Uh, Thank you for listening. And now the low post. Welcome to the Low Post podcast on a Tuesday morning on the East Coast as the NBA is either on vacation or preparing to go on vacation. And I decided, you know, there are a few teams I haven't talked all that much about since the offseason frenzy concluded or stalled in the cases of Damian Lillard, James Harden, the Sixers, the Heat, the Blazers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the Clippers, I guess. Kawhi Leonard extension eligible. Not a lot of 
not a lot of noise about that. One of those teams is the Houston Rockets, and I have talked about the Rockets in the vein of, okay, Fred Van Vliet, that's a lot of money, but two plus one, interesting. Dylan Brooks, wait, what? What happened? What contracts were dumped to facilitate what? Brooke Lopez? Are there hard feelings here? What happened? Was there was there a was there an expectation maybe that did Houston feel like they had it at the goal line and then and then they didn't have it? Tim McMahon, how are you? Howdy, partner. How you doing? I'm good. So that's all water under the proverbial bridge. Dylan Brooks now makes twenty million dollars a year. Somehow that happened. Um, twenty one and a half. But who's counting? We'll say again. Twenty one and a half. But who's counting? You apparently. <laughs> Counting Dylan Brooks's money. His accountant, too. Very happily. I that's all cool, fine. Like we we know that this is a way station for Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and was almost a way station for Brooke Lopez, and then it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um this the, the team is now defined by these seven players. Maybe six, maybe seven, maybe five. We'll see. <clears throat> Kevin Porter Jr., who to me is a maybe, to yeah. the front office there has been a, a definite. Um, although he's essentially non-guaranteed after this season for the next two. Mm-hmm. Jalen Green, Amon Thompson, Cam Whitmore, Summer League MVP, mm-hmm. Alperin Shengun, Tari mm-hmm. Eason, Jabari Smith Jr. Yes. I will posit to you, Tim McMahon, that because of how dysfunctional the Rockets have been, and I don't mean, well, yeah, fine, like on the court, whatever. They just have not been um, organized, so to speak. Um in, in winning in the past three seasons, 17 games, 20 games, and 22 games, I think their stable of young talent is actually underrated and maybe wildly underrated. Those are really interesting names. Um, and, and I don't need to like, I don't mean to give them huge amounts of credit for collecting those interesting names. That's what you're supposed to do when you win 17, 20 and 22 games in three consecutive seasons and have some extra picks to work with. That said, Eason at 17 is a good pick. Yep. Trading two future firsts for Shengun at 16 is a good pick. Well, you especially could argue- the two firsts they traded, right? They're two firsts. With- right, with- Hev- heavily protected. Yeah. I-, I guess Whitmore fell to them at 20 because of whatever concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, Green at two, Thompson at four, Smith at three. Like they've drafted pretty well. And I think outside of Houston, where their fans, something happened to Rockets fans around the time that like Steph Curry won his second MVP. They all just went crazy and assumed that everyone in the media hates them and, and underrates them. So outside of those people, I do think it's fair to say, like, I don't, I, I think. I think their young talent is really, really good and underrated, and a lot of people haven't realized it yet because how much of a mess they've been on the floor. Let's leave Van Vliet and Brooks aside, other than the fact that they will help this team win games, help this team get organized, help these young players be put in positions where they don't have to do too much heavy lifting, where they can have a better chance at success and efficiency. What do you think of those those seven guys I mentioned? Like They're across a lot of different positions. Uh, maybe I'm just irrationally high on some of them, but who's interesting to you? Do you like this team? Do you think this team now has a roadmap to something in three, four, five years? I, I think there's a roadmap to something in three, four, five years. And I think that a big reason you bring in Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks now isn't like, yes, it's because of quote unquote phase two, as Tillman Fertitta wants to call it. And he's 
Like there is pressure internally to win now, right? Well, it's also it's also phase. Oh crap! We owe our draft pick to the Thunder. Exactly. He was promised a three-year rebuild. I mean, there's a pretty logical reason that you just laid out why that timeline was promised, and so you know they want to win as much as possible. They want to be competitive next year, but you also bring in Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks because you're trying to set a tone for these young guys. You're trying to show them how to work and say all you want about Dylan Brooks. But if you talk to Grizzlies coaches, they'll tell you, hey, you know, ask Desmond Bain about this guy. Ask Jaron Jackson Jr. about this guy. Like, you know, his his work ethic had a positive impact on those guys very early in their careers. So that that's part of the reason you bring in a Dylan Brooks, because if you're not going to if you're not busting your ass, you're going to have to answer to that guy. Um, now, they're young talent. I agree with you. Kevin Porter Jr. is a wild card. Um, he's him as a starting point guard was a disaster. Him as a six man, I think there's possibility making that transition with the same franchise, you know, given his, um, I want to put it delicately, uh, tendency to, to be hot tempered. Didn't uh, he leave the arena during a game? Is that him? Am I mixing him that, up with someone him. else? That- and obviously, you know, he he essentially got booted off the Cleveland Cavaliers and they traded him for a top 55 protected pick because of temper issues. That's also the reason he slipped to 30 in the draft. You know, the guy, listen, I feel empathy for him. He's had an extremely difficult life and he's had obvious challenges, uh, you know, as a young adult. Um He's a talent. I think he can be a six-man type of guy and, and have a long, successful career. Can he handle that transition with the Rockets? I hope so, because if, if he can't, he might not get another chance. Um, yeah, I'll put it like this. I don't think Steven Silas had a, had much of a choice as far as how uh, Kevin Porter Jr. was used, You know when he played, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Ime Adoka is going to do what Ime Adoka wants to do. Ime Adoka might be the most powerful non-Fertita in that franchise right now. Certainly, um, the 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 Rockets' uh, desire to reunite with James Harden cooled right when they hired Ime Adoka. You know, put it like that. So, I also think it's notable that there was one current player on that team who showed up to Ime Adoka's press conference. It was Kevin Porter Jr. You know, sitting front and center saying, Coach, I'm here for you. So, look, Udoka might be – he might end up being a guy who really can, can, you know, get this kid on the right path and, and you know, squeeze the most out of his career. But, again, put him in the wild card category. Uh, Jabari Smith Jr. only played a couple of uh, summer league games. Whoa. Whew. I, I couldn't – I couldn't be – the record will show. I've been in on Jabari Smith Jr., all the way since a November Atlanta Hawks-Houston Rockets mm-hmm. game in Houston. I've told the story before. I will not tell it again. I couldn't be more in. That's not me saying I think he's like eight-time All-Star Jabari Smith Jr. I am 100% sold he is going to be a very good two-way NBA player. Not right. like like offense-defense two-way. Not two-way. Right, like right, right. Very, very good player. What that translates to, I don't know. I don't think he's the highest ceiling guy on the team. I don't yeah. think he's going to be the piece that ties this all together if this ends up being the core of a, a, a championship contender or a 50-win team in four or five whatever years. But I think he's a 
if it, if it does click, I think he's a massive part of it all the way in. Love 100%. Jabari Smith Jr. 100%. And like the kind of the vision for him when he was drafted was Rashard Lewis with all defensive potential, which whew, that's a that's a pretty good player. He was doing stuff in summer league. And again, you don't want to you always got to be careful overreacting to summer league, especially when it's a, a you know, a guy who started 79 games as a rookie playing in summer league competition. But Zach, he was bringing the ball up the floor, making plays off the dribble. Like put it this way, you could tell he hadn't just been hanging out since their season ended in mid-April. He had been working on his game. Um, so like what you see there, you know, Jalen Green, we know he can put the ball in the hole. Um, just real bluntly, uh, professionalism is something that that needs to improve there based on what I hear. Like, hey, do you want to live the NBA life or do you want to have a great NBA career? Let's let's you know, let's figure out what your priorities are. So yeah. it's it's funny you say that. Because the reason I want to talk about the Rockets is I am I'm going to write something sometime on Jalen Green and this mm -hmm. young core. So I've been talking to a lot of people about Jalen Green. I've actually heard a little bit of the opposite that that um, that lifestyle, whatever stuff is a little is, is a little overblown. And he's like, if you talk to the people who played with him with the Ignite when they were in the bubble, they were like, we we're kind of impressed. By this young guy now, he's got the Instagram stuff. He's got the fashion stuff. So who knows? But I, I don't – let's put it this way. Of all the young players, even leaving Porter aside, I don't sense a great deal of concern about Jalen Green's professionalism, so to speak, other than like typical young guy stuff of like does he want to just score a ton of points or does he want to win? I'm actually – as long as we're talking about Jalen Green, I might as well I, – I, I'm – Super high on Jalen Green. Yeah, I think I think, and the reason I want to write about him is if this works, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be because Jalen Green becomes a star number one ball handler, and I think he can do that. If you if you talk to people around the league right now, a number of people have sent me these comps. Age wise and trajectory wise, he lines up right around. Brad Beal, Zach Levine, maybe a little ahead of those guys at the same age. Yeah. Are those guys number one options on a championship level team? No. They're really, really good players. And we don't know if that's going to be the ceiling for Jalen Green. But I, I, the, the kid is 20 mm -hmm. and, or 21. I can't remember. Um, well, he gets into a lot of places where you have to be 21, I hear, which is fine. So I, I was also not not a, not above that at age twenty. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I don't think that's a, like a controversial uh, take. Um, I just think the guy can do stuff on the floor that is very very hard to find on offense, and I I just think he's shown enough of the right instincts as a passer, as a cutter, and as a defender. Yeah. And by showing the right instincts and the right um, will, I don't mean that it's constant. I don't mean like entire weeks go by where the dude is just chucking up shots, but I think there's something there with Jalen Green. I think oh. there's something very real there with Jalen Green, and he's their best shot at the the straw that stirs the drink kind of player. I think. Yeah, I mean, look, number two overall pick. We'll see if uh, uh, choosing him over Evan Mobley ultimately ends up being uh, a wise decision. But 
Like the raw talent is not in question. And he, he is 21 now. But, you know, you're talking about a guy who can jump out of the gym, um, you know, has a nice shooting stroke, you know, can create. Um, and again, he's proving a score. He has not proven he can score consistently in an efficient manner. You know, last year averaged 22 per game, but he did that while shooting 48.5% as far as effective field goal percentage. Now, he, he wasn't playing with a point guard. You know, obviously yeah, there's I, a, I I don't care. Yeah. I do, and, I just don't care. Yeah, young guy playing without a point guard, you're not effective field goal percentage. It's it's early to really hold that against him, but he's got a lot of developing to do, um, a lot of growing up to do. But again, I 100% agree with you in terms of uh, sky high talent. Look, we, we've we've hit on their previous two high lottery picks. Amon Thompson, uh, fourth overall pick this year. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much he plays uh, as a rookie, what exactly his role is as a rookie. Um, he might be their point guard of the future, though. And you're talking about a guy who has um, actually talked to some of the Adelaide 36ers this fall, right after they got done playing against Overtime Elite. And they they compared Amin and Asar just athletically in terms of frame, explosiveness. Like Jalen Brown was the comp. Um, they're that they have that that kind of body, that kind of athleticism. Um, he's really got, and Asar to a certain extent, but he's more of a, you know, pure ball handler. I mean, can really see the floor. You know, he's one of these guys who, you know, if he's getting minutes, he's going to, there's going to be rebounds. There's going to be, uh, assists, steals. He's going to get some blocks. Uh, his ability to score in a way other than finishing around the basket is ultimately going to probably determine his ceiling. Um, you know, if he can develop a jump shot, he's absolutely a potential star. Yeah, he shot 25% on threes for overtime elite. Um, and I, 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 I do think if you asked people within the Rockets, rank the candidates on your team for chances of becoming legit number one option on a good to great team. Not necessarily like this, this theoretical best player on a championship team. There's just not very many of those. So let's like, but like. Best player on a very good team. I do think it would go green and then Amen Thompson right off the bat already. Six mm-hmm. seven, incredible athleticism. He's gonna walk into the league as a good defensive player. The jumper is is the is the, obviously the question, which is what kind of makes me nervous about I just, you know, what is he gonna be doing off the ball? When Van Vliet right. has it, when Porter Jr., who I think should come off the bench. I mean, to me, if I'm the if I'm Ime Odoka, my starting five is already in Sharpie. It's Van Vliet, Green, Brooks, Smith, Shengun. And I'm sorry, Kevin Porter Jr., you're coming off the bench, which means you, you're going to be playing with Amon Thompson. And although Kevin Porter Jr., to his credit, has become one of the best catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the league... I don't necessarily think he really wants to do that, let alone cede more ball handling duties to a rookie who's coming maybe for his spot on the team. So, and and, and to your point, like we haven't even hit Whitmore. Um, uh, we we we. I mean, like Jayshon Tate, is he even going to be in the rotation? Like, I think he's pretty good. I would put. Yeah. I would try to find minutes for him. We haven't hit Eason, who I love. Like, I I do think Ime Odoka is empowered to. Honestly, say to people, at least somewhat honestly, it's never totally like a hundred percent true. The following, um, but but to at least say, I don't care what your salary is, I don't care where you were drafted, 
we are all starting from scratch with me. You got to earn everything. Now, again, that's not always 100%. Fred Van Vliet doesn't have to earn a starting job. Dylan Brooks probably doesn't have to earn a starting job. But I I do think he's got the authority to also just be like, if you're not – if you're not doing what I'm asking you to do defensively, like I don't care what your draft position is. I don't care what your pedigree is. I don't care what the front office thinks of you. Like I'm sitting your ass down. Well, and you know what? You know who that we can. There's a little bit of Jalen Green conversation there. Uh, Alperen Shingun is going to. It's going to be fascinating to see how he fits with what Ime Udoka wants. Right? Uh, Shingun is a tremendously talented, off young offensive big man. Like. And 20 happy 21st birthday today, by the way. I'll oh, really? Shingun. Yeah. By the way, apparently he grew an inch or two this summer. Um, so but anyway, like the you know, his still kind of working on developing that three-point range, but he's he's like a you know, they, they always want to kind of compare him to a mini Jokic, but that's just a wee bit strong. But his ability to you know be so like crafty and creative is a you know, uh, non-explosive post player, phenomenal passer. Like the guy, the guy really has a f- just this great feel for being uh, uh, an offensive creator. Uh, as a big guy, the question with him has been and and will always be how how well can he hold up on the defensive end? Is he a massive liability? You know, can he can he fit into a system? Um, and I think that ultimately is is going to determine whether he's going to be a, you know, a a high quality starting center, or is he going to need to be kind of just an off bench, you know, offensive, uh, you know, machine um, who you you've got to try to match up against second units as much as possible. I think he's going to be a good enough off- offensive player to be a starter, and I think he has. On offense only, I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star, but I think offensively he has all-star level talent. If you look at second spectrum, for a 20, now 21-year-old, who has had a, a pretty high turnover rate in in his two seasons because he's an adventurous passer and has a, what I will say is an, um, a creative approach to footwork at times in the post, yeah. like a lot of traveling violations where he seems stunned that his four-step ballet spinorama has been whistled as an infraction. Like, what? I can't, like, tiptoe around? Like, uh, who's the cartoon character who's always with his rapid-fire feet like that? Um, he, he's still an efficient post player because he's strong and, and, and smart and has a nice touch. And I think, ultimately, his passing combined with that, once he finds the right balance, when you talk to people around the Rockets, the right balance of, like, when to go for his own and when to really lean into facilitator mode, I think he's going to be a good enough offensive player that he's going to just have to start. Um, and also I think this a great year, offensive rebounder. Incredible offensive rebounder. I think this year with Van Vliet, the Van Vliet Shengun pick and roll, I think he's going to get catapulted into really favorable passing positions in the short roll, and he's going to have to make the most of those pivot into a handoff with Green hit Jabari Smith in the corner, hit someone in the dunker spot. I think he's going to be really good at that. Defensively, you're right. Look, I that's the question. And I just think if if, you know, pick the if 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 uh Brooke Lopez or Rudy Gobert is your 100th percentile defensive center and I don't want to be mean, so I won't name anyone is your 0 percentile defensive mm-hmm. center. I do think just on size and tenacity 
when he decide an instinct when he decides to really care about it and there are real stakes and this team's been playing with no stakes, negative stakes, minus stakes for years now. I do think he's got the ability to get to like the 40th percentile on that scale. And I and I think offensively that will be good. And that may be selling him short. It may be a little high. I don't know. But I just think offensively he's got a chance to be really, really good. Right. And long term, you can say, hey, there's also some pretty significant benefit to pairing him with Jabari Smith Jr., who especially as he fills out, you know, there will be times where he's able to take uh, the the tougher of the four, four and five assignment. And, you know, can you plant uh, can you plant Shingun against a, you know, a guy who's not really a threat as the force? I think there will be some matchup flexibility there as well. Um, But again, just in terms of like, is this guy a talented offensive player? He is high, high, high on that. There's not a whole lot of 21 and under players in the league who are more talented offensively than Albi Shingun. I I guess I guess what I like about how they've drafted is they've clearly drafted for ceiling. Like we're, we're getting all the guys who we think have the best chance, like wild variability. Josh Christopher is a great example, just like wild. Like he could be a star or he could be a bust. Shangun, he could be a star. Or he could really be a bust or a backup. Like we're drafting for ceiling and they've done that while also creating a roster of young players that actually makes sense together. Like they've taken best ceiling available but also not done the thing that the Sixers did where it's like now we have four centers on the team and we have to trade one of them at low value because we just have to get rid of them. They actually have like twos, tweener forwards, Tari Eason, even Eason. I mean, the the book on Eason coming out of college was he can't remember plays. And that's why he fell to 17 despite having this just prototypical NBA wingspan, size, potential shooting, rebound. He's one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA already. Like, I, even him, he's being pigeonholed as like, oh, he'll be a good 3 and D complimentary guy for this team. Like, there are people around the league and within the Rockets who think he, he might be able to do more than that if given the opportunity. But if given the opportunity, is going to be hard on this roster. And even like way further out, with this new CBA, teams like the Rockets already have to start thinking about like, can we? We can't pay six of these guys. Is it going to be possible to pay six of these guys? Like, the, you better believe those conversations are already happening in Houston, in Oklahoma City, and other places that are loaded with young talent. And so, all of these seasons are going to be key, like information gathering seasons. But I guess my general point that I just want to make is. I just think people are kind of sleeping on the young talent here because of how bad it's looked for three years. I like these players. I like how they fit together. I think they still might be like 13th, 14th, 15th in the West this year, which is very good news for the Thunder. Um, But at medium term, long term, I I just like these players. And I, and I, I don't, I don't think that that's really part of the NBA consciousness right now. No. And look, Tillman Fertitta, when, when he was hired and they had the press conference, said something along the lines that they have four or five young guys on the roster who are potential all-stars. And it's like, hmm, <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. You know that. So that's what he's been sold on. I think that's a bit rich, but hey, you know, I mean, this was before Thompson. So I guess now you could argue there's four guys who have all-star potential. Well, there's like there's like all-stars who are like every year all-stars, and then there's like two-time all-star. Well, then there's Alper like Fred Van Vliet, who's been an all-star once. Right. And like 
I, I, if you're if you're defining all star by that criteria, like I don't think yeah. that's insane to say that. It's, right. I mean, it's a it's a little it's a little exuberant when some of them have not played NBA games yet. So, but but you know, let the let the guy. I mean, he was very exuberant. Was it at Mardi Gras when he was very exuberant about the chances to get Victor Wembanyama? Right. Hold on. Pray for Vic. Pray for Vic. <laughs> Got to have the cup no. in hand to pull that one off. They did not. They did not. They didn't get Vic. They got Thompson though. And and listen, I know that uh, you know there were people within the Rockets who felt like in a lot of years Thompson would have been a potential number one overall pick. Um, obviously, he's not the best prospect since whatever, but he's a talent. And I I agree. There is young talent on this roster. I do think the idea that the Rockets are going to compete for a playing spot this year is way optimistic oh yeah uh, this this year like i let me see what the over under for them is it's 31 really. and a half when i looked yesterday yeah that seems right to me and probably yeah. they given that what they did in free agency they'd be like offended by that but that that right. seems right that seems correct to me right and, and again i obviously you go out and you you pay a max deal you know two plus one like you mentioned to van vliet and a, a deal where, look, I don't know who they were bidding against for Dylan Brooks, but whoa, that, that's a lot of money for Dylan Brooks. And you do that to get competitive right away. But to me, like I said, I think the, the biggest benefit from that could be long-term if those guys establish a culture of this is how you approach the work, right? Now, Dylan Brooks, again, there's all this stuff that he went off the rails with and you know, he bit off way more than he could chew with LeBron and made a fool of himself in the playoffs. But just as far as like, we defend, we work, this is the way we're going to go about our business. Um, I do think he can have a positive benefit on, on a lot of these young guys. Yeah, He works his ass off defensively. Like you can sneer at a lot of Dylan Brooks shot selection and all the nonsense in the playoffs mm-hmm. and Shannon Sharp and all that. But um like the ball denial, the toughness, the physicality, the fouling is a side effect, but like he works his ass off defensively. Now that you're saying all this, what I'm reminding myself is conceptually, I have fit him into this team as like three and D Dylan Brooks and let the other guys explore their ball handling skills. And now I'm reminded in my brain, like Dylan Brooks don't want to do that. Dylan Brooks wants to take 15, 16 shots a game, run some pick and roll. Well, what, I mean, I'm just being, I'm being, and like you know, ex- explore the boundaries of his off the dribble game, and that that makes me now I'm nervous about well, about. I don't want him taking any possessions from these young guys. I just don't. I I understand that they don't want to give the Thunder the fifth pick in the draft. That's embarrassing. They don't want that to happen. Yeah. I just like I just want a little settle down, Dylan Brooks. That's all. Well, and I think the reason that the Grizzlies moved on from Dylan Brooks and, and were ready to move on from Dylan. And look, they wouldn't have that they weren't gonna get paid that much in Memphis even if they were interested in keeping him. But I think the reasons that the Grizzlies were ready to move on from him are misunderstood, right? The the the, the nonsense was kind of like, all right, it's it's at the point where culturally it's time. But that was not the primary reason. The primary reason the Grizzlies were trying to replace Dylan Brooks for a full two years, repeatedly going after players who would have replaced him in the trade market and deals where he probably would have been sent out, was because of the shot selection issue, was because Dylan did not want to 
B, a fourth or fifth offensive option. Hey, I'm Dylan Brooks. I averaged whatever, 18 points per game last year. It's like, yeah, an extremely inefficient 18 points per game. Um, and then, you know, at, at his exit interview, when it was clear, like, hey, the Grizzlies, he's not going to be back here. He grumbled about how he had to accept a smaller offensive role. I've got more than that in my game. So Ime Odoka wanted him. He valued him. Okay. He's he's in Houston in large part because of that. It's on Ime Odoka to, to, to deal with that stuff and get the best version of Dylan Brooks that also uh, creates the best possible scenarios for these young guys to grow. How does he feel about being the fifth option in a starting five of Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., and Alper and Shengun? Probably not great. I, uh, I, <laughs> I don't think he feels any way about that because I don't think he believes that's going to be the, the situation, but it needs to be. Tim McMahon, uh, Hoop Collective, two times a week, just wrote a fantastic story about shot tracking technology that's on ESPN.com slash NBA. Does fantastic work across the board. It's a pleasure to see you. I hope you get a little downtime as we ease into the prolonged drama of discontented NBA guards. Um, thank you for your time, sir. Always a pleasure, brother. Adios, amigos. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. All right, another team, well, a team in the Western Conference that kind of had a quiet, quiet summer. The rising Oklahoma City Thunder, I guess the biggest news was probably Chet Holmgren coming back and looking pretty damn good in summer league. And uh, now the expectations are there for the Oklahoma City Thunder to be more than a play-in team, maybe a playoff team. They are absolutely loaded with young talent to the point that they currently have 20 players on their roster. Andrew Select of The Athletic, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Um, I don't, I don't even know where to start with this team. <laughs> um, I, I guess the biggest pieces of business they did in the offseason are drafting Kaysen Wallace, who looked pretty good in summer league. Getting mm -hmm. Chet Holmgren back looked great in summer league. Signing Michic from overseas to to play some kind of role on this team. Um, I assume their starting five is going to be what we think it is. Um, Shea, first team All-NBA. Jalen Williams, awesome. Lou Dort, 
who, who am I? Oh, Josh Giddy and Chet Giddey. Holmgren. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Despite the fact that Chet Holmgren played a lot with big Jalen Williams in summer league, that was just a function. I'm I'm guessing of summer league. Although they can, I think they can play together and will play together as a way to fill some bench minutes, some reserve minutes, um, and then off the bench. All hell is gonna break loose uh, d- uh, around who who gets those kinds of minutes. But is that is that about what you're thinking? And look, man, like I know the expectations are super high. Their over under is only forty two and a half, and the West is just loaded. They did not add anyone of great significance in terms of immediate impact in free agency or the draft. They did by health and Chet Holmgren. I I guess just. What do you what do you think? Like it's still a very young team, despite the expectations now being there. Shea's a vet now, but everyone else around him is pretty damn young. Like what what's fair to you? Yeah, we were kind of talking about this yesterday on my show Down to Dunk about like what would you be disappointed in? What would you be like excited about as far as win totals? And I I think around I mean, I think. 44, 43 wins, I think, is in the cards for this team. They're obviously, like you said, very young. But adding a rim protector in Chet and just a big target for them to throw the ball to, I think is going to help them a lot. I think Chet is going to have a lot of dunks. He's going to have a lot of wide-open jumpers just because everybody that's on that first unit outside of Dort can create. And I think that Mitchich is going to play some with that first unit as well. And he's obviously a creator as well. And so I think that they're going to be funky. They're going to run a lot of small lineups. Their their most successful lineup was the starting lineup we mentioned with Kenrich Williams at center. I mean, Kenrich Williams was jumping center for them in a lot of spots last year. And that was their most successful lineup. And so I think they want to play small. I think Usman Jang is another kind of under the radar guy that is going to play a lot this year. You know, they they spent three first round picks to get him. And so I think he'll play a lot, but yeah, they're going to play small. They're going to play everybody. They're going to, you know, there's going to be weeks where the rotations look different. Like that's how they're going to run rotations that there's not really going to be a rotation. There'll be a starting lineup and then they will sift through these players. That's kind of how they found Isaiah Joe last year is that they just are going to give everybody a chance. And I think that they're still in discovery mode of their roster. So, so the foursome of Shea, Jalen Williams, Giddy, and Dort, which is a small-ish foursome, although rangy and versatile, um, for the season was plus one and a half per 100 possessions, which doesn't sound great. But after January 1st, they were plus 10 per 100 possessions, which is dominant. Some of that is opponents shooting horribly from three, 30% from three. So there's a little luck built in. But that foursome makes sense. It's switchable. There's enough off the dribble creativity. Is there enough shooting? Time will tell. Um, and as we've talked about before, Mark Dagnalt made better use than I think any coach ever of small, small screening actions. Unpredictable. Yeah. Who's going to screen for who? He turned Shea into a screener. He confused defenses. Made up for a lot of the the spacing issues that that lineup could have. Um, and Holmgren, totally agree with you. And the minute that he, in every summer league game, the minute big Jalen Williams went out and the center position belonged undisputably to Chet Holmgren on both yeah. ends of the floor, here came the lob dunks on the pick and roll. Here came the trail threes uh, on the fast break. All this stuff and the rim protection is just there. And I think the thing that impressed me the most about him was his footwork on defense. 
in a way that you don't necessarily expect for a guy so big and so lanky, his like start and stop and start again footwork, guarding guards on the pick and roll, guarding guards on switches, guarding two on the pick and roll was really, really impressive. Like it's one thing to get moving and move pretty well. It's another thing to move pretty well, slow down almost to a full stop and move pretty well again in sync with ball handlers. Like he's, he, he's, he, he's going to have some issues on the defensive glass. He sometimes defends with his arms down, which is a no, no given how big his arms are and how long his mm-hmm. arms are. But his, his base footwork on defense was eye opening to me. I, I think everything you're saying is the reason why he's going to play center for them and not power forward. Because I, I think that all the advantages that you get, with him as your lone big lion, all of his footwork and his ability to defend the pick and roll. If you put him at power forward, that becomes less special. And so I think the Thunder realize that. And obviously he has the length, but he's he's going to get pushed around. There's no question about it. He's going to get pushed around, but they're going to be so fast. And including Chet, everybody can grab the ball off the rim and push. And that's the way they want to play. They want to play fast. Who's the point guard? I think they say, who cares? It doesn't matter who the point guard is. There's no real point guard on this team. Everybody can kind of run that. And and we've even had Thunder fans question, like, is do they have enough playmakers? Is there enough playmakers already? Like, I think the answer is, why is that even a question? Like, why do you even have to have a, a certain number of playmakers? I think the Thunder want to have playmakers at every position. And I think that's Chet included. And so I think if, and we still need to see it. I think in theory, Chet as the center is really cool. It's going to make for a really fun lineup. In practice, will it work? I mean, we'll have to see. You know, we could end the season thinking, okay, maybe Chet really is a power forward and they need to find somebody to start next to him at center. That could be a possibility. But that would be disappointing. That would be disappointing to me. That yeah. said, the Chet, big Jalen Williams, Arkansas Jalen Williams. I can't, which one is J Dub and J? J will. You can, so here's how you have to do it J will take a charge. That's big J. Will. J. That's Will. big J. Will. He does take charges. Even in summer yeah. league, he was taking charges. Yeah. I was like, can yeah. you settle down on the charge? We all get it, man. You like to take charges. <laughs> but they they were interchangeable enough that like they can both shoot. They can both pass. They can both yes. run handoffs. They can both dribble. They can both defend fours and fives. That I do think that's a look they can go to for six, five, four, eight minutes a game and just have yeah. it be okay. Now, that comes at the expense of the Kenrich Williamses and the Usman Jengs and all the guys you talked about, which brings me to... The first question they have to answer is who is on the goddamn team? So last year, they last week, rather, they waived Rudy Gay, which yeah. got them down from 21 players to 20. Yeah. Um, little known fact, you've got to get down to 15 active roster players once the season starts. So here's my best shot at who's gone. I got to get rid of five guys. Okay. Yep. And I want to and I'm just going to name the first four and we'll see where we are. Because okay. you know you know the team internally better than I do. Oladipo gone, Garuba gone, Ty Ty Washington gone, and I it it hurts my soul a little bit. But Jeremiah Robinson Earl gone. If I'm making the decisions, how am I doing so far? I'm that, I still have to get one more guy gone. I I can't do it. So far, so good. I wonder about Garuba. I w- I wonder about his potential fit as a another big that could play next to Chet because he, his, his footwork on defense is, is good. He's got a little bit of passing skill. And so I just wonder if they get him into camp, 
and maybe he makes it through. I also just wonder if they want to keep one additional big between he and JRE on, Fair. on the roster. And Garuba shot threes very low volume, but hit his threes yeah. last year. Now, yeah. with the ball in open space, it is the biggest adventure in the NBA. Like, anything could happen. He could throw the ball through the backboard. He yeah. could take a dribble and dunk. He could hit Sam Presti in the tunnel with a pass that goes around. Like, you just do. He could fall over. Just fall. Like, he could just stand and fall over. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, I still have to cut one more guy. I don't yeah. think it'll be Bertans, which will be a popular no. choice because his contract, which is uh, essentially non-guaranteed for next season, 24-25, I think yeah. could be viewed as a trade ship. So yeah. here, here's who I don't want it to be. It can't be Isaiah Joe, right? It just can't no. be. He's too good, and he does something that they need, which is shoot. If I'm, If it's me, it can't be Aaron Wiggins. Like, I saw enough from Aaron Wiggins defensively, and he shot 39% from three. So it can't be him. So we're starting to run out of guys because it's not going to be Wallace, obviously, and it's not going to be yeah. Jang. We're starting to get into the Trey Man, Poku, um, Jack White just got signed range, where yeah. it's where it's gonna where it's gonna hurt. And you know what would really hurt? It it, it can't be Poku, can it? If no, we, it, I don't. It, I don't think so. I think it's Jack White because I think Jack White could be waived. I think his it's. Partial guarantee on year one, unguaranteed. 600K, I think. 600K, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think they can waive him and they could probably get him on a two way, is what my, that that would be my guess. So I think that Jack White's the guy. I don't, I don't think Poku is on the chopping block just yet. Um, I think he, now he could be by the trade deadline. I think we could see something similar to what they did with Darius Baisley, where the Thunder just don't like to get guys to, restricted free agency. And so they like to extend or they or they cut them loose. And so that could happen. I don't think it'll happen yet though. Um Trey Mann's another one where you just think it are there minutes for Trey? Is he actually going to play? Well, let's, this well let's on this team. Let's talk about it. So we named the starting five. The three guys that I know if I'm trying to win games and and they have to try to win games now. They don't have to go all out to win every single game, but they got to win. They're a good team now. And they have um, enough good players to win games. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I got to find minutes for Joe, who's going to yeah. play some with my starters too, as he did last year. I've got to obviously, uh, Jay will take a charge as my backup five. And I, I, Kenrich Williams has to play. And oh, it's, it's 100%. tempting, like, I, to like grandfather him into some like Nick Collison like role, but like he's not that old and he's good. And when he he's plays, good. they play really well. So I'm mm-hmm. up to eight guys. And that's mm-hmm. before I address the fact that probably on a lot of my reserve units, I'm going to want one of Giddy and and wing Jalen Williams running point in, yep. when Shea is out of the game. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm up to nine and I haven't gotten even to Usman Jeng, let alone Misich and Kaysan Wallace and tr- let alone Trey Mann and Aaron Wiggins. Like it's, it's going to be mm-hmm. hard to play all these dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is why they they're going to cycle through the roster. From the bench, there's going to be weeks where Casey Wallace doesn't play at all. There's going to be weeks where he's playing 25 minutes a game. That's and that's how they handled it last year. I think it's going to be pretty similar. And that's not. I mean, they'll probably have two or three first round picks in next year's draft too, which will complicate this even more. At some point, there will there will be some kind of consolidation trade just because you can't play everybody. But they're an interesting spot. I think 
they want to take all these guys to camp. All these guys are going to camp. They want to see who rises to the top. And it could be, it could end up being a guy like Aaron Wiggins. It could be Usman Garuba. I mean, I don't, I don't think Jeremiah's, Jeremiah Robinson is coming back, but he could have a really good camp and they could decide to keep him. I do think that they are going to give all these guys a shot to, to actually make the roster. And then they'll probably make some trades. They'll probably make some cuts and they'll whittle it down. And I mean, the truth is like most of these guys are into the, into the bench guys for most teams. So like the, the roster crunch isn't that crazy, but they've but they've got some like, decisions to make. Like teams are watching. Like if if some of these guys get cut loose, teams are going to jump on them. Um, Who do you think the most valuable guy is? That's that that's realistic. Cut. Yeah. Uh, well, you're telling me Poku can't is is probably not. You think Poku's table. valuable? I think I think there would be enough GMs that would be like. All right, this guy is strange. Let's let's, yeah. let's, let's see let's see what's there. <laughs> yeah, this guy does some weird stuff. Let's yeah, block some shots, make some passes where you're like, whoa, that was actually pretty pretty good. And then yeah, then like breaks the rim with a three. Um, I I don't I mean like again, Joe won't be cut. He would he would yeah. get snapped up uh, immediately. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned consolidation trade. I just talked about this with Tim McMahon that all of these teams that are loaded with young players no matter how early they are in their cycles and the Thunder are way ahead of the Rockets in their cycle are already thinking about under the new CBA, can we pay these guys? Can we pay mm-hmm. all of them? Can we keep them together? This is, the, mm-hmm. of course, the original curse of the Thunder is can we pay these guys? And it resulted in James Harden playing for the Rockets in part, sure. in part. And it's it's a little early. They don't really have to worry about this until the 26-27 season when start of the some of the big contracts come up. But you can bet they're thinking about it um, and and maybe the the cap is is going to go up a lot every year, which will make it a little easier, especially if some of these guys are on just the twenty five percent max. But it's going to be tight. And I got to tell you, like I may be overthinking it. I'm obviously way ahead of my skis on just making these decisions. They don't have to make any decisions anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But the guy that I keep thinking about and keep watching. And keep an eye on as like, is this going to be the guy that is the centerpiece of the big trade um, where they consolidate some of these some of these guys into maybe a veteran who helps them, whatever it is, is Giddy. Because I know I have my ball handler, number one guy in Shea. Mm-hmm. I love J- wing Jalen Williams, who's going to be a secondary ball handler. Chet yeah. is, it plays a position where I just, if he hits, he's obviously going to be part of my core. Giddy's just one of those guys who shot 32% from three last year, got better, knows how to pick his spots to, to push the ball in transition. Uh, you go under a screen against me. That's cool. I'm going to bully you into my comfort zone with floaters. Like he just find, and he's a great passer and a great rebounder and just kind of picks his spots to impact the game more than you would expect for someone who quote unquote needs the ball and quote unquote is a minus shooter. Um, he he finds a way to make a positive impact. I just keep, I find myself thinking about him a lot and his future on the team. Am I getting way too ahead of myself? Yes. I think Giddy is such an interesting player because I think that he helps them get into the kind of offense that they want to run more than almost anybody. Fast, crazy, chaotic. Yes. And inverted I, pick and rolls or he's the six nine point guard and a little guy screening for him. Yes. And I, I and you're this is a conversation that I've had many times with lots of people is that hey, Giddy might be the guy to go. And a lot of it is he's just such an unusual player 
that a lot of people don't know what to do with them. They think, okay, I know like Shea, all NBA guy. Yes, he's he's the guy. We've seen so many guys in the league that play like J-Dub does. Like, yeah, that's easy for me to, in my head to think about this Thunder team with him and Shea as like this dynamic duo in, in the backcourt. Great. You know, Chet, he's the big guy. Awesome. Giddy, he's he's a 6'8 point guard that doesn't handle that well, but is a great passer, and he's not a great creator for himself, but he scores enough. It He's just weird. And his so I pick, think people His pick-and-roll efficiency numbers, I looked them up on Second Spectrum today, are, are good, like better than you would think they would be. He he is a, I mean, 16, 8, and 6 for a guy who's 20 years old is pretty wild. And to go from shooting 26% to 32% from three is a pretty big deal. And, and he takes some, he's not, he's not like, I mean, he takes three a game, but he's, he's not like, there are games where he's letting them fly like a, a, adventurously. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, he showed in that playing game against the Pelicans that he's not afraid either that he's and he's ultra competitive. So when I think about like a potential trade, I don't know. I, I still think that there's like a good shot that those four guys are going to be the four guys on the team. And then they can use their picks to have cheap roster spots or they can sign minimum guys or whatever they need to do. But that, that's also a benefit to having all these picks out in the future is that you can, you can add money via draft pick as much as you want. Now it's going to be up to ownership to see how much they want to pay. But I, I would tell people to just, slow down a little bit on Giddy because I think this thought is pretty is pretty common. A lot of people think like, oh yeah, Giddy's probably the odd man out. But I, I kind of think of him as closer to I think he's a little bit untouchable to be honest. I just think that he plays exactly the way they want to play. And he rebounds like a maniac because they are going to be a little smaller. Yep, they need it. And his his rebounding and his toughness is something they are going to need. And so that's kind of where I'm at with Giddy. His unusualness amplifies the players around him much more than it takes away from the players around him. He just has a knack for finding his way into the right spots at the right times in the right roles. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm heartened to hear you you say that because I want I, it's obviously like we're again years away from this. They want to see more about how he fits with these guys and how that works and like can he be their I mean, I don't. I don't even want. To, I was gonna say they're Draymond Green. He's not defensively. Draymond Green's one of the greatest. Yeah, of all time, but, but but they're just yeah. kind of just like he seems to be in the middle of stuff, despite the fact that he can't shoot and he's big and he rebounds and I, totally different players. I get it, but you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Like it's just yeah, he just kind of fits. He just kind of fits. He's he 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 molds himself into what they need him to be at at any given time. But at some point, like Usman Jang, if he hits, he's gonna be an expensive player. You know, like yep. like this stuff happens. Faster than you think. It's a great spot to be in, and like you said, they mm-hmm. still have a million picks to use. Like this team is, it's it's a really exciting place for them to be. And I think I, I guess when I look at the over under, and you t- you talked about the win totals, I think they're one of these teams, like a much better version of Utah, where if fans are expecting the next big leap to come this season, like all of a sudden they're a forty nine to fifty two win team, and it doesn't come, there are it's probably the most likely outcome of their season that they win about the same number of games. And mm-hmm. we still feel just as optimistic about their future to, in a year as we do today. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that that 
it's it's more likely, like you said, that they win 41 games than 51 games. They they could jump ahead, but they're also I think some of that's going to be the playing around with the roster, playing around with lineups, figuring out what they've got. You know, Mark Degnault loves to give funky lineups throughout the season, and they're going to do that. That is going to happen, which will lead to losses, you know, but it could also lead to them figuring out that Usman Jang is more of a wing than he is a four or, you know, finding out that Jack White's a player, whatever it is, you know, they're going to, not only are they going to use every roster spot possible, they're going to use all the minutes possible during the season to figure out what they've got. So I, and I do think that that could lead to them not performing as well as, you know, fans or people think. Well, you just go down the standings. Like they're not better than Denver. I, 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 I wouldn't put them ahead of Denver, Phoenix, the Lakers, the Warriors, probably probably the Kings. Um, God only knows what the Clippers are going to be. Like you get down yeah. to ninth in the West pretty fast. Like Minnesota yeah. is going to win more games than people think. Um, if New Orleans ever gets healthy, Dallas is something. Like it's just it's hard, and that's fine. That's just life. That's just life in a very very deep conference where literally all fifteen teams. Well. It'll be 14 once Portland gets off a little, yeah. assuming they do, are mm-hmm. are more or less like trying-ish to win. Yeah, I think the Spurs, you could see them hit the hit the brakes a little bit in the middle of yeah. the season. But What about Utah? What do you think about Utah? I think I said last week, I think Utah, um, I'm going to do the same thing I did last year with Utah, which is underrate them, and they're going to be like 20 and 20. I'm going to be like, I guess I was wrong about Utah yeah. again. <laughs> I, I I think their, their lack of playmaking at the guard spots um, – Combined with introducing a minus passer and John Collins into the starting five, yeah, worries sure. me a little bit. And I said last week that I think uh, let me see what their over under is. I think it's only in the thirties, yeah, thirty four and a half. I think that's about right. Like I think they're at risk for a little bit of a step back yeah. this year. And their fans didn't like that I said that, but that that's kind of my gut. What? Why do you ask? What do you think? Well, the Thunder have their top ten protected pick for next year's draft. Ooh, I forgot about that. So. That's a kind of an interesting one to me. I, I think if you're the Thunder, you might rather them get the eighth pick or ninth pick again in this draft and then kick it to the next year just because of the the quality of the draft that has been reported on already. And then also just the roster spots. Like you just don't have enough roster spots. And by maybe not next summer, but the summer after that, I think you're going to have a much better idea of what you have. And so I think I would rather have picks in that 25 draft than 24 but yeah that's why i ask because it's if if they're decent then the thunder could get like the 12th or 13th or 16th pick from utah well i and i think you are i just did the rocket segment with tim and i've said this before like i think you're getting like the seventh eighth ninth tenth pick from the rockets who have have gone all in to try to avoid the pain and embarrassment of giving the thunder the high, it's top four protected, so fifth would be the worst. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't I don't think the Rockets have. I think they've improved, but I think everyone around them has improved. And like the Thunder are staring at. A, a, I I bet if you if you just simulated the system, the simulated the season a, a thousand times, like the numbers eight pick or seven pick would be like the most likely place where that pick lands. Yeah, and if they can get a meaningful player at that spot, I mean, it just. It adds like this. We'll have this conversation again and it will be like, man, how are they going to play so-and-so? I mean, it's 
that's going to be what the Thunder are for the next, you know, five or six years. It's just they continue to stack young players that have a ton of potential, and they're. I th- I think next year's pick is going to be quite interesting from well, the Rockets. Some, some of that potential has now translated to real, actual talent and winning. Like Jalen Williams, yeah. by the end of the season, J Dub yeah. was J-Dub. a yeah. big plus NBA player. Giddy's yeah. a plus NBA player. Shea was an MVP ballot candidate, first team All NBA. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's, and if Holmgren hits, yeah. and summer league made me very excited about Holmgren. Mm-hmm. Like. They're really, really exciting. We will be talking about it again. Andrew Schlecht, you do fantastic work for The Athletic uh, all over their podcast airwaves and on Down to Dunk, which I will appear on when I come back from vacation because I owe you I you. owe you one. Um, thank you for your time. Enjoy the summer. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how many players are cut from the thunder between between now and the next time we talk. Thank you, Zach. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's wrap this journey around the Western Conference nether regions uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Quiet summer in Minnesota. Torian Prince gone. Troy Brown Jr., Shake Milton in. Nikhil Alexander-Walker re-signs. Didn't have a first-round pick. Traded a couple seconds to get Leonard Miller at 33. Interesting team. Interesting team paid Nas Reed, which means they've paid three centers a lot of money. That doesn't seem awesome. John Krasinski from The Athletic. How are you, sir? Zach Lowe. I'm good. Good to be back here, man. It's been quiet by Timberwolves standards, and we're not used to quiet around here. So, Oh, God, don't we'll say see how it goes. <laughs> so, so, the prospective starting five for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mike Conley, extension eligible Jaden McDaniels, extension inked Anthony Edwards, Cat. Still on the team. And Rudy Gobert, also on the team, played all of 75 minutes all of last season. All in the regular season because Jaden McDaniels broke his hand before the playoffs. None of their lineups featuring any combination of two big men were good last year. Offensively, the Gobert-Cat thing, all the numbers across the board are bad no matter how you slice the combinations. 
the Nas Reed Gobert and Nas Reed Towns pairings were all really, really bad, which is a little bit worrisome when you figure out how are they going to play all these dudes and what's their bench lineup going to be? How are they going to stagger Cat and Gobert and still get Nas Reed minutes? Fine. Figure that out. It's a solvable problem. Love Nas Reed. Splendid all-around player. Chris Finch is a good coach. Um, and, you know, there's just sort of an air of murkiness around how this team is going to play and how they're going to look something. And, and obviously the whole summer there's been cat. Are they going to trade cat? What are they going to trade cat for? Had cats got to be traded from the minute they, from the minute to go bear deal was rumored. It was like, well, obviously they're going to have to trade cats. Their only way out of this jail that they've put themselves in. And maybe that turns out to be the case. There's something in my gut, John Krasinski, and I, I almost am afraid to verbalize it. I know the numbers. They were, you know, you know what their plus minus was for last season? Like overall plus minus? I do not. Out of the top of my head, but it can't be good. Minus three. Yeah. Closest team in the league to a flat zero in mm-hmm. plus minus, which was a perfect representation of their season. They were like 20th in offense, 13th in defense. Just a bleh, Just a meh. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to win more games next year than people expect. Their over-under is 43-and-a-half. I would hit the over. Something about their playoff performance in late-season play left me bizarrely optimistic. I don't think this is a great team. I don't think it's a championship contender team. I think it's a good team that's going to win more than 43-and-a-half games. That said... They are on my list of teams to monitor for how they start the season. Because if they start the season scuffling, if they're 10 and 15, I think that's when the cat noise starts to build again. I think this is a team on a lower plane of existence than Phoenix, but the same applies to Phoenix as to Minnesota. Like I think they need to get off to a good start. What do you think of all the nonsense that just came out of my mouth? <laughs> yeah, it, there was a lot to get to there, but I think it was all really accurate portrayal of where this team is, where it was last year, and where they hope to go. They uh, were underwhelming, to say the least, last season. They had hugely high hopes after paying all the the bounty they did for Rudy Gobert that they were going to be a 50-win team, that they were going to be a team that could win a round or two or more in the playoffs. That all did not come to fruition for some of it for a good reason. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns misses 52 games. Uh, Rudy Gobert is banged up coming off of Eurobasket and really wasn't himself until the second half of the season. And so they and you had the D'Angelo Russell thing and then you had Mike Conley and they just never had any real continuity. And so what they hinged this summer on was let's keep this group together and let's figure it out because Rudy Gobert is one of the most unique players in the league. And it takes a long time to get to learn how to play with him and him to get to learn how to play with his teammates. And so there's a belief that if they come and they have a full training camp and everyone is healthy and they stay together, that they can win a lot of games in the regular season. At least they are hinging a lot of this on a very small window of time when Carl Anthony Towns came back from that injury and Nas Reed was healthy and they started to get a few wins. They beat Golden State on the road. They beat Atlanta at home. They beat uh, Sacramento on the road. Um, and then they played the Nuggets fairly tough in for a 5-1 series in the playoffs. And um, you're not hanging any banners that way, but they feel like 
it would have been too quick to pull the plug entirely on the too big construction. But you are right that there will be all of the eyes on them the first 30, 40 games of this season coming up. And if it doesn't go that well, I think you could see big, big changes. If if it does go well, then they might continue to ride it out for a little bit, a, a little while. So. The Nuggets series first, we'll start there. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Brown, Brown. Yes. Bruce Brown said on a podcast, I can't remember which one. That uh, the Nuggets found the Timberwolves the most troublesome of their four playoff opponents, which, of course, in order were Minnesota, Phoenix, Lakers, Heat. Um, despite the fact that Phoenix was the only team to win more than a game over Denver, and that meant with a little that met, was met with a little little snark. It was like, whoa, um, yeah, yep. I will tell you that having spent a ton of time around the Nuggets, particularly during the finals, people within the Nuggets brain trust were saying that during the finals mm-hmm. that the toughest team they faced in the West was Minnesota for them now. Part of that is because Minnesota is a weird team that can put Gobert on Aaron Gordon and have him rove and bother Jokic a little bit at the rim to the degree anyone bothers Jokic. And they have Anthony Edwards, who has taken to the postseason in the NBA like a fish takes to water. He's just there. He's a superstar just right away. Um, And also, I think Denver coasted the last month and a half of the regular season and there was a certain shock to the system of oh my god this team is like game planning for us and tweaking their scheme every 90 seconds and playing their best players more minutes and so I I don't know that was partly a compliment to Minnesota and partly just sort of their introduction to playoff basketball after taking six weeks of just coasting Um, but I, I, I do think it wasn't just that, that there was something about the Wolves that they found physical and tough and difficult to deal with. And again, McDaniels missed the series and he's so a huge Nas part Reed of their team. Missed the series. So did Nas Reed. That's Kyle right. Anderson missed the last game. Yeah. So, and, and, and slow-mo, we haven't mentioned slow-mo, yep. uh, just newly national, nationalized yeah. Chinese citizens going to play for the Chinese team in the world cup. Very cool. Um, he's a critical bench component for them. Mm-hmm. Alexander Walker was good for them. We'll see how they sort of split those minutes, but I think this is a good, solid team. I just, I, I just don't know what it's going to lead to ultimately, but I, I, I think something real happened in the last twenty-five games of the season. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Zach. I mean, you look at, I think Rudy Gobert started to figure things, some things out to where he could be effective, not dominant, not Utah Jazz Rudy Gobert, but certainly much more effective than he was early in the season. Carl Anthony Towns coming back gave them another shooting dimension that that they were missing with him out. And Mike Conley, just as an organizer, as a guy who knows how to play with Rudy Gobert, who can run an offense, who can quarterback them, could hit open shots. That was much needed. They needed a a an adult to run point guard for them and 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 really kind of organize everything and get people shots when they needed. But finally, I mean, what you hit on, I think the most is that. Anthony Edwards is trending toward being that guy for them. And for that's what they've been searching for someone in the playoffs who can take over a series and strike some fear into the hearts of an opponent and, and do things even when they are game planning against him. And a lot of the confidence and swagger that they got at the end of the season came from that emergence. In addition to, 
to Cat and Rudy figuring things out a little bit. I mean, I think I thought Cat played Jokic as tough as you could defensively in the last couple of games of that series. It didn't work out, but he uh, he he really fought. And then you had Rudy on the weak side, and and that gave Denver problems. If they had Nas Reed off the bench, if they had Jaden McDaniels. If they had Kyle Anderson, maybe they win a couple of more games. I don't think they win the series, but maybe it's a little bit more competitive. Um, and that's what they're banking on going forward. They're they're like top seven guys are really talented. And it's just a matter of can they make those pieces fit together beyond to to go beyond their individual talent to a more collective team winning approach. I guess part of the reason I was left with a good taste in my mouth was you know, Carl Towns started the playoffs like he always starts the playoffs. Yeah. 11 points on 5 of 15 shooting, 10 points on 3 of 12 shooting. It, it, and this is a guy who has, I'm looking at his playoff game log, three single-digit scoring games in his postseason career prior to the Denver series. He, in games 2 and 3 against Memphis in what was an epic first-round series by Timberwolves Sanders at least, took 11 combined shots mm-hmm and had nine combined turnovers and 10 combined fouls. And his play-in games have also been underwhelming. I think there's, if not a single-digit play-in game in there, like a 10 or 11-point game. And you're just like, dude, how? How does this keep happening? For a guy who will proclaim his greatness at every opportunity in front of any microphone thrust upon him, how do you keep scoring 11 points in playoff games and fouling out? And I thought in the last three games of the Denver series, the, including the only win they had, he really showed me, look, he fouled out of two of them. So I don't want to sit here and say, like, he, it's all solved. He turned the right. corner. 27 and 7 in game three, played 41 minutes. 17 and 11 in the win. Only took nine shots, but got to the line 10 times, fouled out. Again, you're fouling out guarding Jokic. Right. Uh, 26 and 11 in 38 minutes in game five, the last game of the series fouls out again. I I just liked the way he played those games. Like there's a tendency when a series goes to three Oh, that your eye doesn't watch it with the same care and, and sort of excruciating detail as you do a two, two series. I kept paying attention to that series in part because I wanted to see how the wolves responded to like, okay, it's hopeless. And of course came out and was like, we're not, we're not getting swept. And they win that game. It's an overtime game, right? In game yep. four. Um, I liked the way cat finished the series and it gave me hope that the next time they make the playoffs, we will not have this early. Like, are you here, dude? Like you gotta be here. Yeah, I think I mean, that's the biggest thing. And I think people who have listened to me on your pod and and certainly know my work, like I, I generally believe that cat is a really, really talented player who sometimes catches more of the blame than he needs to people. I mean, he says some weird stuff on podcasts every once in a while, but people react to what he says in a way that is just surprising to me, like why people get so hung up on it. But he does have to be more consistent um, in the playoffs to kind of back up what he believes of himself as a player. And we did see signs of that in that Denver series. I do think that, you know, he had, he was still getting his legs underneath him from missing all of that time with the calf. It's his calf is fully healthy. Now he is very much looking forward to coming into camp and ready to go and not having any restrictions. Um, and I do think that as the season went along, one thing that the Timberwolves can look at 
for optimism of can this big two big tandem work is cat tried to make it work like he was passing to rudy gobert he was trying to involve him and he he took on the Jokic assignment defensively um even though he knew that it was going to be really difficult on him and um and he played as as hard as he could yes he followed out a few times but i do think if you watch Jokic in those games it wasn't as easy as he had it in other series. And, um, and so there are things that I, I, I just think cat is a really, really good player who uh, needs to figure out how to engage in a playoff series and not sort of get, I think maybe too into it and want to dominate too much. And then it kind of gets out of it can control. If he stays within himself and just plays the game, uh, he, he can be, really really effective and and 1a and 1b with with anthony edwards in in a in a matchup pairing that can give people problems it's one of the reasons that i'm so curious about this team this season is because i i do think there's a there's a roadmap to it working at at least in the regular season and at least like oh okay they're in the second round and it's like a troublesome series for for a higher seed despite the clear fit issues playing these two centers um and by, by god for a team that is going to have to play two centers a lot can they get a goddamn rebound they exactly. never their, their rebounding is so bad they were 26th in offensive rebounding last year and 26th in defensive rebounding it's hard to be that bad rebounding everywhere all over the court both ends and they've been a bad defensive rebounding team forever for yeah and rudy gobert was supposed to solve the problems and i, I think he rebounded okay they have to get serious about rebounding and some like transition defense, some of the other little things, if they're going to be a serious team. Well, here and but, real quick, Zach, on that, he, they have to make a decision on what they're going to be phil- philosophically because they had to decide whether you're just going to crash the offensive boards and dominate that area and get the second chance points or get back in transition. That was the problem that they were running into all the time. They and, were getting and they did early. neither, neither they one, did neither of yep. those. Things. And so they 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 have to figure that out. I do think getting Conley as a rebounding guard. What one thing you heard from the Timberwolves all the time is it's not necessarily our bigs that are, are the big problem. It's that the, the guards are not rebounding their position nearly well enough. And Conley helps a little bit in that area, but yes, they just have to flex their muscle and, and, and make and, and play bigger than they, than they did at all last season on, on the glass for sure. Even if they are successful in the way that we're talking about, like yeah. good second round team, it's just not going to be possible to pay Gobert, Towns, nope. Ant, McDaniels, and Reed the money that they're going to have to pay. All of them have now gotten their next contracts, except McDaniels, who will will one way or another get a hefty amount of money. This guy's twenty two years old, shot really well from three, can defend every position, and showed a little bit more off the bounce juice last season developing the way you want in that sense. He's up to 12 a game. He's never going to be a massive scorer, I don't think, but like a good off he could be a good offensive player. It does feel like this is the year it has to work or else I, I just like I I guess I get I guess I just don't believe the idea that they are just throwing the phone in the toilet when anyone calls about Carl Towns. I don't believe it. I do th- I think even this this is just this is not even reporting really it's just my educated speculation. I think if they were introduced to a good Towns trade that they could have made this summer, 
they would have made it. Good depends on what your definition is. Like it would have been a really high draft pick, two really high draft picks and a young player, three great picks and two swaps and a young player. I don't think that deal was there for them. And I think the main reasons Carl Anthony, not, I shouldn't say that. I think Carl Anthony Towns is making $52 million estimated next season, 24, 25, 56, 61, 65. I just don't think the teams that may want to pursue Carl Anthony Towns at the price that the Wolves would would have been intrigued by are quite at the readiness stage to do that yet, given those contract numbers, given how uneven just the Wolves' general existence has been forever. I think if a good deal ever emerged, they would they would have to consider it unless this hits so well this season that they have to figure out some other way to wriggle out of this financial prison. And I do think they're going to be good. Like I, 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 It's just a matter of how good and how quickly do they get good. Yeah, I think this is the prove-it season. This is the where the rubber meets the road. It, it, and what happens uh, either at the trade deadline or next summer, something is going to have to give financially. They, this is not going to be a team that's going to be over the second apron you know, for, for most of its existence, unless it's going and winning championships, unless it's going way deep into the playoffs to do that. And so if that doesn't happen, I do believe that, yeah, they will look at Carl Anthony Towns trades. They would look at Rudy Gobert trades. They would look at all sorts of different mechanisms to financially make this work. But I, I think you, one point that you just hit on that is a key is that right now the Wolves want to run it back. Like that's been their, their main focus is they, they want to show the rest of the league that, Hey, we weren't complete idiots. Like we, we think that this go bear towns thing can work and we'll show you that it works. But one of the reasons also that they're running it back is they were not going to get bowled over by an offer for Carl Anthony towns coming off of a 52 lot games missed season with all of that, uh, contract in in the future and the last couple of years there have been injuries that he's kind of had to work through and he's missed games and so um and then you you add in the playoff inconsistencies they weren't going to have someone throw the entire boat at them like phoenix did for kevin durant it just wasn't out there now let's say that he comes back and plays really well um maybe the the market improves for him maybe those 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 offers go up and and maybe that makes the decision harder. But I I will say this: I don't think they had a difficult decision this summer put to them. I don't think it was, hey, will you do this? And they really hemmed and they hawed and they said, no, and we're not going to do this. I just don't think that there were many options out there for them. But long term, it's hard to imagine this whole roster staying together as is and them paying the freight to do that, barring a huge run to Western conference finals, NBA finals, uh, you know, coming down the pike. And so this is definitely, I think the last season that we look at the Timberwolves as currently constructed um, and, and, and go into another 24, 25 with the same roster, unless lightning strikes and, and they're in the, and they're in the finals. And I wouldn't even know what to do with myself uh, in that situation. Zach. Okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody would <laughs> No. <laughs> A, a couple of things are sneaking up on me. Mm-hmm. And it's seeking, like, number one, they don't have a point guard or a starting point guard under contract beyond this season. Mike Conley's That's deal right. is expiring and they don't have another one on the roster. If you want to say it's point ant, fine. 
I don't know. We'll see. Um, Gobert's deal not that long. No, nope. two more two more guaranteed seasons and then a player option he'll definitely take in twenty five twenty six. We're like a year away from people looking at the Gobert deal like, oh, it's not that. It's not that. Yes. Okay. Or the Wolves just being like, maybe should we just let it just expire? Like, should we just, can we keep it together and let it expire? But these are questions for another day. Um, John Krasinski, your work for The Athletic is just phenomenal. Second to none, you wrote a, two wonderful stories, actually, uh, surrounding Anthony Edwards' Supermax extension, um, one about his older brother and another about sort of the just the burden of being the next guy to try to fix this. Uh, go go and read those. And if you want to read the deep cuts on Leonard Miller and others, they are there too. Thank you for your time, sir. I look forward to seeing you in person. Always good to see you, Zach. Thanks for having me. And uh, Leonard Miller or bust for these guys. We'll see what happens. 